Broadcasting from a remote corner of the front office of Grave Diggers Local 16, it's Six Foot Plus, the podcast of music and more for those who like it spooky. Hello, listener. Strange Jason here. Thank you for tuning in. This past Tuesday marked this podcast's third birthday. No joke. April 1st, 2011 saw Six Foot Plus make its debut online. And through ample amounts of synchronicity and a few missed deadlines, this week corresponds with another auspicious occasion, our centennial. Welcome to the 100th episode of Six Foot Plus. In the past, our birthday shows have been celebrations with a mix of some of our favorite music with plenty of gratitude for every listener and a lot of disbelief that we made it another year. We blow out the candles, have a bit of cake, and continue on with business as usual. But here we are at episode 100, and it might just be time to take a look back as to what led us here. The origin of this show doesn't exactly start three years ago. I wouldn't even say it starts six years ago with the launch of Gravedigger's Local 16. No, if I had to pinpoint it, that first spark that started it all would have had to happen about nearly 15 years ago, back on October 29th, 1999. Now, as we go back in time, let us pause and take a moment to consider the landscape back then. There clearly was no such thing as a podcast. In fact, the proliferation of the MP3 hadn't reached its stride yet, and the internet was still relatively weak in terms of public bandwidth. In October of 1999, Napster was only a few months old. It would, of course, catch on like wildfire and quickly burn itself out leaving a bevy of competitors in its wake. WinMX, Morpheus, LimeWire, Audio Galaxy. <laughs> I remember them all. I remember how slow they were. <laughs> if you wanted to download an album, it took all day. Right now, chances are you're listening to this on your phone. Perhaps you're streaming this on a wireless connection at speeds that obliterate what the setup was just two decades ago. That quote-unquote primitive world was the one that I grew up in. I'm glad it's far behind. I'm not saying that when the internet showed up, it suddenly became everything. But for myself and for a lot of my friends, the internet became incredibly important because there was very little else going on in our neighborhood. And excuse me, when I say neighborhood, I don't really mean neighborhood. It was more of the woods. Not so much the middle of nowhere, no. It would be more accurate to say that I was raised in upstate nowhere where there was plenty of trees and not much else. <laughs> no, if you didn't like camping, skiing, snowboarding, or playing outdoors in general, you were pretty much fucked. For entertainment and information, you had to rely on the old standbys, flipping through the channels to see what was on television, or by turning on the radio.
It was 1996 when a local adult contemporary station was repackaged to jump on the alternative trend in music that was honestly already on its way out. But even as unfashionable as it was, for those of us in upstate nowhere, this radio station was a godsend. Upstate nowhere was and still is filled with the type of people you would expect to live in upstate nowhere. When it came to music, everyone's radio was blaring classic rock, hip-hop, contemporary country, and metal. Up until 96, there really wasn't much help if you weren't into Zeppelin, Tim McGraw, or Metallica. Was Tim McGraw around there? Was it Garth Brooks? I don't know. That wasn't my thing. But then all of a sudden, turning the dial to 99.9 would offer something different, something new. And in that isolated corner of nowhere, Something was a lot better than nothing. And while it was basically the mainstream Lollapalooza lineup that was getting played on the airwaves, there was still some random weirdness here and there, tossed in by DJs that must have been recruited straight out of their college radio stations. In between Smashing Pumpkins and Pearl Jam, one would hear possibly Guided by Voices or a random Dead Milkman song. I heard my first psychobilly bands on that station years before I even knew the term. Though some might argue against the Amazing Royal Crowns and The Living End as being psycho. 99.9 would also get me into punk, even though I never knew it as such. These bands were punk bands, but they were sold to me as alternative. As an ignorant kid in upstate nowhere, I really didn't know what was what. If you asked me, I would never say that I was a punk during those years, but yet I always turned up the volume for those late-era bands like Bad Religion, even The Offspring, and hell, yeah, I'll, I'll cop to it, <laughs> Green Day. And of course, those strange little mutants that were mixed in, like The Suicide Machines, Face to Face, and that one screeching weasel song. I mean, hell, the first time I heard Holiday in Cambodia was on that radio station. And even though that stuff was practically mainstream, I was glad for it. Without it, I'd be much different than I am today. So when the time came to graduate high school and get the fuck out of upstate nowhere, I was leaving with an appreciation for the radio. So two weeks after moving into my dorm for the fall semester, I saw that the college had a radio station and anyone who was interested in being a DJ could just sign on up. Well, one thing led to another, and...
After attending the two-hour seminar that doubled as our training as DJs, we were giving a sign-up sheet with a schedule. We were supposed to pick a two-hour block of time, and I picked Fridays from 6 to 8 p.m. It turned out that my block of time was the last for the week. The radio station shut down during the weekends. I think the frequency was reserved for broadcasting sports games. My college was weird. We, I think we had a really good basketball team and lacrosse. It was a strange school and it was a strange time. 1999. Halloween was on a Sunday in 1999 and with the station closed down over the weekend, mine was going to be the last bit of programming before the holiday. Now I've made no bones about it that I wasn't a monster kid growing up and that I didn't watch a lot of horror movies during my youth, but I still was a creep, some kind of freaky little weirdo, and I felt an obligation to put together something ghoulish, it only seemed right. So I scoured the college radio library, which was this small room off to the left, full of shelves completely packed with CDs, but the type of CDs you'd find in the discount bin at a music store inside a mall that wasn't doing so well. But even if the station's library had a wild and diverse selection of music, the show I put together that night still would have been as spooky as a popcorn ball handed out to a disappointed trick-or-treater. You see, at that time in my life, I had a completely different concept of what qualified as quote-unquote horror music. My formative years were spent with classic rock and the mainstream version as punk known as alternative, so I made a lot of bad decisions. <laughs> I had long hair and more Aerosmith albums than should have been legally sold to a minor. So my musical taste was not as refined as it is today. I'll be honest with you, I listened to a lot of crap, but back then I was listening to a lot of lower quality crap. Years later, right before graduating college, I would chop off the hair and sell most of my CDs to a secondhand store for, I think I got maybe 20 bucks for the whole lot. Back in 1999, uh, scary music for me was, well, it was metal and goth. Satan, Marilyn Manson, Ministry, Sisters of Mercy. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I had no idea about the Misfits, but unbeknownst to me at the time, I had actually heard the Misfits, only because 99.9 .9 had used 10 seconds of the song Halloween in the background of a commercial advertising a Halloween-themed ball being thrown by the station. Still, I tried my best. I looked throughout that small room, its shelves stocked to the brim with crap CDs, for any band that at least sounded like they might be scary. I can't remember most of what I listened to while making my picks. You see, back then, you had to check out the CDs and take it back to your room to your CD player. There was no MP3s, there was no ripping or downloading. This was all still advanced technology. I know, that's boggling the mind considering you can get everything off of iTunes these days. We've come a long ways from the day that I filled up a backpack and hauled that crap back to my dorm room only to find out that most of the music I played was pretty horrible. <laughs> I do remember, and I regret this, I passed over this one album. It was called Fun in the Dark, and the band's name seemed perfect. But when I listened to it, and I was expecting metal or goth music, but instead there was this high-pitched singer and these power guitars and songs that just weren't scary sounding. They were fun. They were sunny. Yeah, I put that album back by the Groovy Ghoulies and I was disappointed. I'm disappointed now that I made such a stupid mistake. Yeah.
Despite that initial ignorance, I wasn't completely closed off to new things. Though I passed over the groovy ghoulies, I picked up this album by a band called The Ghastly Ones. The song titles were appropriately spooky for Halloween, and when I listened to the CD for the first time, <laughs> man, I had this huge smile on my face, ear to ear. Look, I had no idea what surf music was, even with Pulp Fiction having come out years before and its choice of Dick Dale's Miserloo becoming the rallying cry for surf music's revival. This type of music, though, I had no idea what it was or what it could sound like. So hearing the ghastly ones, I was astonished that something like this could exist, and it did exist. It was amazing. I also found that Radio Station's library had a copy of the Halloween Hootenanny record put out by Rob Zombie's short-lived Zombia Go Go record label, the same one that released the Ghastly One's first album. You better believe I snatched that as well. The record included a version of the Munsters theme by Low Straight Jackets, a band I had recognized by briefly catching their appearance on ESPN's X Games and Oddville when it was on MTV. I knew Low Straight Jackets was this band with Mexican wrestling masks, but I didn't really know what they were. What they were, what they are, is awesome. So yeah, in a roundabout way, Rob Zombie got me into surf music. <laughs> I took my place at the DJ booth that Friday with a stack of CDs and not much else planned, save two hours of music to help get everybody into the Halloween mood. Up to that point, I'd been on the air for, uh, I'd say, about six weeks. It was starting to get comfortable in the booth. It had been fun doing the show, talking into the mic and playing make-believe, aping the radio personalities I had listened to back home. It was almost like I was a real DJ. <laughs> Six o'clock rolled around, and I put on Hangman Hang 10, and that was it. Happy Halloween. Now, I wish I could tell you all the music I played that night, 
but I can't remember it. Those minor details of the event have been lost. Like grains through the hourglass, so do pass these memories through the mind of Strange Jason, or I don't know, some blah blah blah. Though there is one very important detail I do remember, and that was the last band I played. So with it established that my tastes back then were more questionable than my questionable tastes are now, it should come to no surprise that I actually played this song. So during my search for music to play that night, I came across this CD with ridiculous cover art. It was this half-naked orange-skinned woman who was inside this dungeon and she was stirring this witch's cauldron. Inside of it were these little goblins with jack-o'-lanterns for heads. It was the album Better Than Raw by Halloween, not Halloween, Halloween. See what they did there? The music really wasn't what I liked, but I needed some filler for this show. And the band's name was clearly close enough to Halloween that I figured, what the hell? That of course meant I actually had to play a song by this band. And the most of the music on that album, well, I thought it sucked. <laughs> I didn't want to sit through one of these long five to six minute songs of this weird, strange, heavy metal. So I kind of just picked one of the shorter ones. And it was this track called Don't Spit On My Mind. So when it came time to play this song in a bit of youthful rebellion, I flipped on the microphone and I launched into this rant that somehow defended Halloween against these these imaginary religious zealots who accused my favorite holiday as this devil-worshipping ceremony that would damn all the souls of the innocent children down to be consumed by the devil, that it needed to be abolished because it was a sinful abomination. You know, while growing up, I did meet some kids with some strictly religious parents, but up to that point and up to this point, I have never met anyone who once said that Halloween needs to be destroyed. I was fighting against these made-up villains in my mind, but I was taking a stand. You know, I was being an idiot, but... You know, when you're young, you're dumb. At the end of my little screed, I name-checked a particular religious-slash-political figure. I called him a rat bastard on the air and then played the Halloween song. A few seconds into it, I heard a knock on the door. I turned around and I saw the professor, who was also the head of the communications department at the school. He came in and he told me that I had to stop the song, I had to shut down everything and basically get off the air. Despite being this weird, strange town in the middle of Pennsylvania, it had a really decent communications department. It had a radio station and a television studio. And of course, the head of the department was the manager of both. They were all located in the same building as his office. <laughs> this was his realm and he was king. And of course, he had the radio on and he heard everything that I said. I learned that in this part of Pennsylvania, people held strict religious convictions and were not afraid to voice them. I would also learn that the year prior, the school had gotten into trouble when a student, after getting a parking ticket, went on the air and started saying, fuck the police and fuck this and fuck that. People complained. So this professor was scared. He was walking on eggshells that if there was another complaint filed with the university, it would lead to the radio station getting shut down. The king was protective of his kingdom. Despite the gumption that had led me into my rant protecting Halloween, I, at the core of it all, was a good kid, one who listened to adults when they told me what to do. I stopped the song, I said nothing, and went through the process that ended the broadcast day. I was done an hour early that night, and packed up all my stuff and started to walk back to my dorm room. On that walk back, the feeling started to sink in. I felt shitty that I encountered this censorship over what was essentially a B-grade German power metal song. If I had been shut down over something I actually cared about, I might have fought it, or I might have complained a bit louder, or I would have done something, maybe? I don't know. Really, I gave up, and I went home. Shortly afterwards, the library's copy of A Haunting We A Go-Go went missing, as did its copy of Halloween Hootenanny. I'd like to think that they went to a better home. Both of these records would be pivotal in the next step of what would become Six Foot Plus. Uh, looking back now, 
Honestly, I don't feel any animosity. Perhaps I should feel a little embarrassed, though. Halloween. Really, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, maybe it was for the best. I mean, if I had listened to the whole song, there was a chance that I might have fallen in love with it. I would have never have changed. Man, I wouldn't have never cut my hair. <laughs> yes, that's right. It is I, your fiend, yours truly, Monster Matt Patterson, the man of a thousand bed monster jokes hailing all the way from Matsylvania. Hey oh, and hey oh to you. Yes, you, way in the corner of the tomb. Maniacs, we are celebrating third year of six foot plus. Can you believe it? Who would have thunk it? Whoa. Uh, let me open up with this. Happy birthday, six foot plus. It's time for cheer. Pick your favorite poison. Go on, gulp it down. Have a blast. Have no fear. A celebration of things that are spooky and some a little kooky. One thing that's troubling me, one that's got me in a quake, is if there will be enough birthday cake. <laughs> I know how these things go, why they bump in the night. So continue on, six foot plus, for another hundred years, bringing the beast of all things to your listeners' ears. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Happy birthday, six foot plus. And uh, there's another birthday boy, a birthday fiend, Lon Chaney Sr. Yes, yes, yes. The man of a thousand faces. Well, I, the man of a thousand bad monster jokes, have written a few dedicated to that fiend. And uh, I will share with you a couple right here. What is the Phantom of the Opera's favorite coffee drink? La, 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 latte. He enjoys it so much that it makes him sing soy latte do. Oh, see what we did there, maniacs? What kind of dog does the Phantom of the Opera have? A candelabrador retriever. <laughs> what is the Phantom of the Opera's favorite disco song? 
Everybody was kung fu fighting. I know we've uh, said those jokes before, but it is in fact uh, Lon Chaney Sr.'s birthday on April 1st, so it's only appropriate that we celebrate. Yes, yes, yes. Light a candle or something. All right. Moving right along, Maniacs, Miley Cyrus. Yes, yes, yes. She sings about a wrecking ball. How quaint. Phantasms. The tall man has flying silver balls that do way more damage. In fact, we have a counterpoint song in the works dedicated to those weapons of mass destruction. It's being written by Britney Spears. <laughs> See what we did there? I don't. <laughs> Anyways, Maniacs, uh, what film is about an antique mirror that may be supernaturally connected to a murder and the woman that wants to pawn it? Hoculus. <laughs> How do adult ghosts combat ectoplasmic dysfunction? They take the little boo pill. <laughs> I watched this film with Robert De Niro, and in it, his character Travis blathered, babbled, and talked gibberish while working as a hack. It was called Taxi Dribble. <laughs> Alright, uh, the film Transcendence has a dependence on your ability to suspend disbelief. Johnny Depp's living in a computer, still making women swoon. How does he do it? Did he install the latest version of iTunes? <laughs> that was kind of flat. So we'll go back, uh, rewind, and uh, do this one again because it was pretty funny. How do adult ghosts combat ectoplasmic dysfunction? They take the little boo pill. <laughs> All right, maniacs, that's it. And happy birthday, six foot plus, you maniacs, you. Ouija board wishes and cadaver dreams. Bye-bye. This has been the Monster Matt Minute with Monster Matt Patterson. Congratulations. You survived. For more from the man of a thousand bad monster jokes, follow Monster Matt on Twitter at number one Monster Matt. That's the number one Monster Matt. Keep track of Monster Matt's conventions appearances, his artwork, and info on his new book, Ha Ha Horror, over at his website, Ha Ha Horror, found online at hahahorror.com.
I stayed with the radio station for another semester, but afterwards I gave it up because I had gotten a car and the time spent on the air could be spent at a job, making money to pay for gas. About two years later, I'd cut my hair and by that time I was starting to get into punk. If discovering the ghastly ones was the first step towards six foot plus, the second came from discovering a punk band, well, it wasn't the Misfits. Don't get me wrong, I like the Misfits, but I don't like, like the Misfits the way that some people like air. And I know people who have spiritual connections with the Misfits and their music. I wish I could say I had one as well, but I showed up late to that party. My real first exposure to the Misfits outside of that 10 second background music of 99.9's Halloween commercial, was the college radio station's copy of Famous Monsters, the second Misfits album with Michael Graves singing. That, dear listener, was my first exposure to the Misfits. I know, right? <laughs> so I guess it's not a big surprise that the Misfits aren't that punk band that kind of pushed me towards making this podcast. I would get into this band after college, and looking back, it's funny to think about this. As teenagers, me and my friends would sometimes venture out of upstate nowhere into small pockets of nearby civilization. Sometimes we'd take a ferry across the lake over to Burlington and visit the used record stores they had there. In this one place, I think it was called Disco Round before being revamped as Downtown Discs. There was always a handful of CDs by this one band with a four-letter name. At that time, I was usually looking for secondhand Frank Zappa albums, but I'd always see one or two albums by SNFU. Of course, when I would finally get into listening to the Canadian hardcore punk band of sometime around 2005, man, all those UCDs were nowhere to be found. Just my luck. I distinctively remember when I became a fan of SNFU. Somehow, I had gotten a hold of their live album, Let's Get It Right the First Time. It was the live version of Cannibal Cafe. And once it kicked in, pow, that was it. I was done. I was hooked. The arrangement just kicked me in the skull. I mean, at first I thought it was a waltz. It was weird. It was beautiful. It was about eating people. God damn. By the time it was over, I was a confirmed fan. SNFU is not a horror punk band, but they always had a horror element to their music. And their most famous logo was that of a zombie rising up from beneath the ground. This was because of the lead singer and lyricist, Mr. Chai Pig's personal demented interest. There was the aforementioned Cannibal Cafe, The Mall That Eats People, My Lovely Little Frankenstein, Where Are My Legs, even in their most recent album that came out last year, there was Donald the Dead. I enjoyed how a non-horror punk band could sing about these monsters, creatures, these killers. It was very similar to how the Ramones sang about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre on their first album. It's why the first song on Six Foot Plus was not by a horror punk band. It was by The Freeze, so long ago. Another punk band that also did horror-themed songs without being horror punk. I like the idea that horror music is not limited to just a single genre, that these ideas, these storytelling methods permeated throughout all different types of music. Chai Pig had some issues, and to be honest, I wasn't really sure he was going to make it. If you go and watch Open Up Your Mouth and Say Mr. Chai Pig, the documentary, it details all of the issues that he suffered. He was deeply involved in drugs and he dealt severely with schizophrenia, I believe, or bipolar disorder, just this horrible mental condition that had him homeless. Thankfully, he's still alive and he's still going. SNFU continues to tour to this day. It's a similar spirit of perseverance that has pushed us to reach 100 episodes, dear listener.
two events in 2005 that would lead to Six Foot Plus, the first of which was discovering SNFU. The second was heading to New York City to see the Drop Dead Festival. Drop Dead is now strictly a European thing, but back then it was a bi-continental extravaganza. This was a three-day festival of all the horror rock you could choke on. I went down specifically to see Gein and the Grave Robbers and the Phenomenons, but I also caught, for the first time, the Young Werewolves, Lugosi's Morphine, and The Crimson Ghosts. I would later catch up on all the other bands that I missed. Missed out on Blitzkid, Memphis Morticians, Cult of the Psychic Fetus, Resurrects, and many more. They were all at Drop Dead that year. They kind of planted seeds, and a year later I reaped what I sow when I challenged myself to listening to nothing but horror music for the whole month of October. Weird John and I were talking then, and it was just kind of like a gentleman's wager. I don't think I made it. But with my research, I did discover more bands that would eventually make up the pool of artists that have been featured here on Six Foot Plus. Shortly afterwards, 2008, Gravedigger's Local 16 went online. It was mainly a platform for Weird John's excellent mind about all things horror, strange, weirdness, whatever, but also a place for my warped opinions on whatever I happened to fancy that day. When we started GDL 16, there was really no thought of putting together a podcast or a radio show or anything of the like. We talked about music, we did our reviews, and that was that. Gravedigger's Local 16 did contribute to Six Foot Plus when it got me a quote-unquote job with another website. And that is the final event that kind of midwifes Six Foot Plus into existence.
Ten years after that night where a Pennsylvania professor shut down my radio program out of fear of riling up the locals, I was submitting my application for a blogger position with a music website. GDL 16 had been around for a couple of years and I figured I'd give it a shot. Blame it on low standards or a great application, either way I ended up writing for ba 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 some random indie music site. Eh, it doesn't matter which one. Now, I wasn't a big fan of the music I listened to during my short tenure on the site, but the goal was to get a portfolio going in order to write for bigger and better places. So I signed on up to write for the site under the promise of $5 a month, a ramen stipend, and free music, which really wasn't free since I had to review it. And it really wasn't music that I'd ever steal if I could. So giving it away for free wasn't much of an incentive. If I had to describe what I listened to, a lot of it was the kind of music you put on Sunday while nursing a hangover, waiting for it to fade away. It was an odd little spot for indie music. It would be about a month or two later, Arcade Fire would win Album of the Year of the Grammys, and <laughs> someone at the site would put up this laughingly dark prophetic, indie music is over, it's now the mainstream. That was so cute, but come on, give me a break. With my reviews, I quickly ran out of ways to describe something as dreamy or sunny or drenched in a sleepy exuberance. It was all this really bizarre C to lower B level indie music, nothing that anyone ever heard of, and I think the obscurity was somehow the point, but it wasn't good. It didn't knock my socks off. I wasn't the target audience. Some good did come out of it though. I did find out about the Vivian girls and discovered a lot of bands decided that the Fender Reverb unit wasn't really just for surf. But yes, overall the stuff I was required to listen to in my opinion, it sounded like a precocious celebration of happiness that comes from farting rainbows or I don't know. It just, it wasn't my thing. And if it's your thing, you know, I'm glad you have a thing. Finding a thing is very hard to do. That's why I started Six Foot Plus. It was to help people find their thing. So writing for the site, well, needless to say, I got bored, quickly. At the time, as a counterpoint to this third string indie rock, I was listening to something called Via the A-Hole. The A standing for analog. It was a 15 minute podcast that was comprised of nothing but old and off the beaten path punk singles. The audio taken from vinyl. It was quick, honest, and awesome. It was an odd selection with no host. Start, finish, done, boom. It was great. I miss it, it's not around anymore. But listening to it, it got me to thinking, why couldn't this indie website have its own show like Via the A-Hole? 15 minutes of all this music that keeps getting sent to us. People who didn't know about this site could find it via iTunes. Plus, it'd give me something to do besides just writing these reviews and repeating myself. I also thought, if I was going to do this indie music podcast, why not make a podcast for all the music that I liked? I asked around, I did my research, and I found a good microphone. I even offered to cover half of the cost of buying it. I would put the show together and we'd spotlight these bands. The owner of the website seemed keen on the idea, but he kept on dragging his feet and I just got sick of waiting. So I quit. I placed the Amazon order and that was that. I talked with a friend, we came up with the obtuse name of the show that you're currently listening to, Six Foot Plus, and a month later, the first episode went up. April 1st, 2011, Six Foot Plus made its debut. Featured the Ghastly Ones, Keen and the Grave Robbers, The Freeze, all these bands that I've been listening to ever since that October evening in 1999. That pretty much concludes the origin story of this little podcast of music and more for those who like it spooky. Three years, 100 episodes, nearly 900 bands, and over 114 hours later, here we are. And from here, we'll continue onward. Let me take a moment to thank any of you who have stuck with this show from the start or from any time over the last three years. My thanks to any of you who might have told someone about this show 
either on Facebook, on Twitter. You spread the word of Six Foot Plus. Thank you. To every single artist or band, thank you for your music. We've been honored to share your sound with the world. Yvonne, I must say thank you for the theme song, Carpe Noctum. It has been an outstanding guide and motto for this show. We always seem to start things off right, thanks to you. Nels, thank you for the original music that we play at the end of the show. It helps us cool down before we enter out into the rest of the night. I cannot stress how incredibly cool that music is. Thank you, Nels. Kava Khan, ladies and gentlemen. Matt, thank you for every single one of your bad monster jokes, even the ones that didn't make me laugh. <laughs> uh, seriously, thank you. Doc, thank you for being a supporter, a contributor, a confidant. When it came to deciding which direction this show was to go to next, you had a powerful, positive effect on this program. Thank you. Tammy, JR, both of you of Twisted Central, Heather Buckley of New Jersey, Grim Ghost of Home Haunting, the show would not have been the same without you, and we would not have made 100 episodes without your help. Thank you. And Weird John, thank you, buddy. He, listener, he contributes a lot more than he gets credit for. A lot of the show's success is thanks to him, so definitely my heartfelt gratitude goes out to, it goes out to him. And finally, thank you, listener, for hitting that download button and joining me on this little walk down memory lane. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You'll be able to find it on iTunes on smartphone apps and over at sixfootplus.com. You can talk to me on Twitter at sixfootplus. That's the number six, F-T-P-L-U-S. So as we go out, thank you once again for listening. Onward to another 100 episodes. Until next time, dear listener, stay tuned. Plus, episode 100.